0: Hi everyone, I'm Pamilia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food. My guest today is Chong Jingyuan, who is the chef-owner of the hawker stall Te Bak Kian Roasted. He's the son of a butcher at Jurong West 505 wet market, and he named his hawker stall after the nickname that a customer at his dad's butchery gave him, meaning pork seller's son. In this episode, Jingyuan and I chat about the finer points of making char and siu yuk and why roasted delights is a dying
1: trait in Singapore. Can we start with your childhood? Can you tell me a little bit about your own personal relationship with food and and cooking growing up? Was that something that you did from a young age?
2: I what my grandma, grandmother and my father always cooked for us It's always delicious. It's always something special. It's not quite where you can find outside. Now that my grandma is gone, I really just miss her food. Mm. Yeah, so it's like I've been growing up with good food. I belong to Hakka, where the swan and the mei all come from. Yeah. Uh, my grandma makes it wonderful of it.
1: Oh, well, that's amazing. I feel that a lot of Hakka dishes are very labor intensive. Like uh you have the um, Haka Yong Tao Fu. The one you really need the whole family to come together and make it, right?
2: Yeah, actually not long ago me and my brother started selling Haka Yong Tao Fu, but we stopped doing it because of the you know the COVID. So the crop really got left very little, then got some rental issues, so we just stopped from there. After um I I would say that uh, our customers really like the yong Tao Fu that my father taught us, yeah, mm-hmm. you see a lot of returning customers,
1: yeah, so was that a family tradition, all of you coming together to cook very often, or was it just um your grandma cooking and then you you guys just enjoying it
2: uh when I was young, my mm, grandmother always cooked by herself because I wasn't so interested, yeah you know I mean? so I just go inside the kitchen take a peek and then come out. so' mm-hmm. like, oh, I know what she', thinks, but I didn't really help so yeah it's like picking a bit what ingredients she put she just tell me uh, about uh she will tell me then uh, some of the things i remember but not all again i think is this task is this task that my father made uh, that make me really interested into cooking but i'm not so particular about cooking itself so i do not go and cook all the food at once i just spend all my time all my free time on Making this tassel like for a good three years, I've been just doing this tassel. Oh,
3: wow. So it's like uh,
2: so and because I'm perfectionist, uh, so uh, like almost every week, my fa- my family member just eat the tassel. I, make. I think they are sick of it.
1: <laughs> From what I understand, your dad owns a a butchery store in in a, a wet market. Is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, at John West. Ah oh, okay. Yes. So
1: he makes tasu on his days off at home?
2: Uh he he does not have a lot of time to make it, but that one particular day that he did was Chinese New Year Eve where he was free. So he does uh want to make this out because it's I think it means it means something to him. Like my grandmother used to sell this at the the seafood restaurant that they own. So I think he got he somewhat missed my grandma, so he started doing that. So, after we eat, then we, we just, wow, that cha sao is really good. So, I told him to teach me again. So, he just put in some effort to teach me. From there, I start to perfect every mistakes I do. I just ask him what happened, why turn out something like this. So, he just lead me the way. Mm,
1: you yeah. believe that you can make good cha sau in a home kitchen?
2: I believe that you can make good sasao if you have an oven a good oven the the oven that I used was about the highest temperature you can go was quite high when you, you get the char but if you don't have a good oven, the heating procedures are quite slow. you just slow down everything your your saw will just end up not the way you want to be to mm. be but uh for. Roasted pork itself, you definitely can do it at home. Uh, I started learning about roasted pork, like the home homemade one, through YouTube. I think YouTube. So I started learning by YouTube videos, and then I go and ask for apprenticeship through some masters. So they taught me how the how to like prolong the creeps timing. And everything there. So from there I experiment, experiment itself with my the the how long it can last myself. Mm-hmm. Uh. So I believe that now my, my roast pork belly can last about what twelve hours, good twelve hours.
3: Really? Quick, wow. yeah. if,
2: That's
3: amazing.
2: don't expect it to be like once it comes out from come out from the oven itself, yeah, it's surely deteriorate.
1: Hmm. So how did you manage to convince all these masters to teach you? Because I know that a lot of Chinese um, chefs, they are very secretive about their own techniques and what ingredients they use in the kitchen.
2: Apparently, I just, uh, you know, just ask them. So they just all accepted me as their apprentice. apprentice. Basically, I learned from mainly workers, workers like the head chef. Then... Before my opening of this store, I went to this self employed hawker, so he fine tuned everything for me.
3: Mm.
2: So, that was when I piece everything together. Because he, that master who teach me to piece everything together and fine tune, is quite important for me. If not, I wouldn't be able to do everything so swiftly. Mm. I would be like messy here, messy there.
3: Yeah. And how was the journey
1: like for you learning how to make all these Chinese classics?
2: It's mm. frustrating, eh. It's frustrating because you take like maybe you can take like three hours to roast, four hours to roast. Then it just don't turn out to be what you want to eh. You do not have the energy to redo it anymore. Because the whole process from like drying all the way until roasting, and then you taste the product itself when it cools down, maybe one day. You do not have the time to like redo straight away. You can't. You just can't. There is a lot of technique to do it. There's a lot of it. Like it's not just one step that can make your rose belly very good. It's not it's like a mixture of different kind of techniques. Like you're playing with chemistry. You're playing with acidity and alkaline.
3: Do mm. you
2: know I mean? So yeah. I need a lot on food science. So just to get the how you deteriorate the skin mm. to make it creeps everything. Yeah. There's a... It's just a lot of work to experiment.
1: Mm. So can you tell me, what is the main difference between Western roast pork and Chinese roast pork? Because in the Western world, a lot of chefs also love their roast pork belly, right?
2: Okay, yeah, roast pork is more likely on, uh, most mostly on, like, you know, those hard creeps. Hmm. So, where you really have to use force to bite it. Yeah. While Chinese roast pork is more more on the side where it's like sapey, three or something like that. You know, it's like sandy but crispy. It's the bite that crust and crust on everything. It's not those hard type of crust. I think they would if they try Chinese roast belly, they will definitely like ours better. Cause of we do, ours is not hard, but you still get the crispy texture. You know what I mean?
1: Mm. Yeah, you get the blisters belly belly. on the skin, right? Yes. And I think sometimes when you go out and eat pork belly, whether it's Western one or, or Asian one, sometimes it just sticks to your teeth. Do you know why that happens?
2: Oh, that happens because, uh, like what I said, um sometimes when the crust is too thick, uh, you, it's, pork belly itself is like a balance of everything. You do not just focus on the skin and then forgot on the meat. Mm. You do not uh, then focus on the meat and forget about the skin. So, if you just focus on the skin itself, uh, you forget about the meat. So, normally people who just focus on the crepes itself want to make it as thick as possible. uh, That stickiness will happen. Stickiness will happen. Uh, As long as you do not roast it too dry or something like this, you won't stick. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think my roast belly will stick sometime now, but when I chop I will know which one is stick, so I just don't give that one.
1: Mm. Get
3: what I mean? mm. Yeah. Do
1: you feel that um the type of pork also plays a big role in ensuring the success <laughs> of your pork belly?
2: Like I'm more of like a balance, balanced side. So I want some fats in it. Actually the pork belly itself, like, if you take the whole piece, you will have like one one side on the fattier side and one on the leaner side. So you want everything to be like from leaner to fattiest, but so your customer, if you understand your customer, you know which one to chop for them. Mm. Yeah, so it's a balancer.
1: balance. Uh. Mm. And also, you know, sometimes because I live in Australia now, sometimes the pork belly that we have, it's very thin compared to the kind of pork belly that you get in Singapore. It's quite thick, right? Like, like maybe when you make kung ba, pao, this kind of pork belly is really quite tall. But here in the Western world it's all quite short. So do you think that affects the resulting shi yu? Uh
2: actually this misunderstanding comes from the the let me correct you first, you know the thick belly that we have like in our restaurant, it's actually uh imported imported pork. Hmm. So it's like those are from Holland, from Brazil. Actually Singapore's pork belly uh, is very right size. Hmm. It's not too thick, it's not too thin because it's from Indonesia and Malaysia itself, so that ratio is just nice hmm. so the Indonesia pork is just really just so ripe for roast belly.
3: Hmm. it's
2: like the meat is not a lot the meat is not too little, but sometimes you do get a different result like I mean so it's like a livestock, so you can't really actually predict it, but if you have a very if you have a very thin rose belly, just make sure that you just wrap aluminium for like one or two layers more, mm. you, still, you, still won't yeah. you won't dry it out, you won't dry it out.
1: So on this same topic of selection of the pork right, um, I, w- I would like to ask you about your favorite choice of uh, pork cut for your char siu. because a lot of people say that the best cut is the putian tian right, which is you know in the western world is secreto, um, but I, the last time I went back to Singapore there were actually quite a lot of restaurants selling uh chashu made from pork belly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this became,
3: that? <laughs> this
2: again very sensitive. Um uh, let me put it this way, the cost of putin tin is just sky high, that no restaurant will just use it.
3: Hmm.
2: And pork belly itself. Pork, I tell pork belly, the price of pork belly is higher than putin chin.
3: It's higher. If we
2: are talking about fresh, if, if we're talking about fresh pork.
3: Mm.
2: But normally, putin chin only comes from fresh pork, normally. So mm. um, I would say that the more premium part is the putin chin compared to belly in Singapore. Uh, mm. Not all, but that is mostly the case. Mm. So restaurant sick itself uh, they use belly because they have this balance of fats and lean in it compared to like puchintian it's, it, it mimics tin. Mm. but it has a balance of costing also so you know Singapore the f b sector is very competitive that's why they have to use something that mimics tin, but to keep the cost low so that's why they use belly
1: do you feel like customer preferences have also changed? Like, you know, maybe last time people prefer a bit of um, chill when they eat their char siew, But now, a lot of people like, you know, sous vide kind of meat, right? So, the kind of melt-in-your-mouth kind of pork belly that you get yeah. in a lot of restaurants. What do you think of that?
2: I think preferences of Singaporeans have changed. Huh? We do not really like chewy food anymore. Yeah. Uh but I still like it. Um what I mean is that uh they still like soy food, but uh they just want to melt in their mouth. But some people still prefer to bite. Some mm. people like myself, I still like to have you bite those way the part where you bite and then the taste, but not just the melt in mouth. Uh yeah, you get what I mean?
1: Hmm. Yeah, for just me want I the so. The sous vide kind of tasu is a very different product from the traditional tasu, right? Because the traditional one when you char the meat, the the fat actually crisps up. But for the sous tasu, you don't really get that kind of crispy fat kind of uh, texture, right? You just get the melt in your mouth kind of uh, flavour and then maybe they use a blow torch to torch the tasu to get yeah. the silkiness.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did the blowtorch torch or the sear the pan. Mm. I think it's different, uh, totally different, uh, I would, I would dare to say, sovi char siu is nothing compared to roasted char siu, uh, in my own opinion. But I have a strong stand. You
1: yeah. I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can you tell me why do you choose to become a hawker? I mean, you are so passionate about understanding the processes behind char siu and the food science. So, why be a hawker?
2: I am very interested in the F and B sector, and I think the startup. Itself is very affordable, so it's low barrier entry, and it's where something that I can try while I'm still young. So mm. I thought of it like, why not give it a try since I'm interested in S and B, yeah. So, and I really want to. Actually, I just want to. In the first point, in the first in the starting point, I just want to perfect this chassel. Because I know that this oven just can't do it. The home oven just can't get the real feel of roasted pork all this. So I just place a bed and try it try it myself. Because I I do have a plan of setting up a central kitchen or like restaurant, F and B all this, but not just a hawker store itself. So I wanted to find somewhere where I can do something, this experiment mm. at low cost.
1: Yeah, so being a hawker is like the first step in achieving your food dream in a way.
2: Yes, it has all these skills and everything.
1: Yeah, but I feel that, you know, being a hawker, it's like being perceived negatively sometimes by people. Like people always think that it's very unglamorous and like, like, oh, if you don't study, then you become a hawker. Have you ever heard of uh, people saying such things to you?
2: Actually, now, uh, if you think about it, uh, if you have a friend that you don't like, uh, just ask them go and be a hawker. <laughs> Again, it's, okay, hawker itself is very hard, it's very tedious. Uh, you cannot employ foreign workers. Um the profit margin is not very good. You have long working hours, it's just fully self-employed. So um that's where they see that the hawker trade is like a blue blue-collar trade or something.
3: Hmm.
2: But I, I would say that um it's still an honest living. Hmm. A lot of them still struggle from day to day. Some people are flourish in money, like some you know, some business, some hawker business is very good that they drive big cars, big house. But they always look on the one side and then they don't look at another side. Some people are just living on day to day. Some hawkers, are there, I mean. So I think it's like I after I do, I become a hawker myself. I see, I see the hawker life very clearly or so it's just some of them that is flourishing, you know. Mm. But for me I I like I like I currently I like this current job, the career that I chose for myself. Which
1: hawker center do you operate in?
2: Uh I operate in 503 West Coast, which is Ayuraja Hawker oh. Food Center. Okay. And um planning to move, yeah.
1: Oh really? To to where?
2: Um still in planning, but I'll update my Facebook so if uh anybody's interested can follow us on Facebook, we we'll update on it. Yeah. Because the crop there is quite limited, it's quite out of the way of everywhere. So we are trying to find somewhere that's centralized.
1: Mm, yeah, that's true. And are a lot of your customers very shocked that you're so young?
2: Uh, I would say yes, because the um, Roasted Delight is uh dying trade of Singapore. Yeah. The dying trade. Um I don't think anybody will be not much people will be interested, interested like because of the from you see, uh when they start the job in the day, they have to predict how much they have to sell today. So they have to pre-prep everything. So mm. at the end of the day, if they have too much, they will have like wastage or the leftovers or this. But more no, I see Singapore hawker trade moving to like noodles, everything, because noodles itself it can be kept, so they can keep it for tomorrow, all this usage. But roasted delight is just uh no, it's all full of wastage. Yeah. So predicting is one important thing. So I try to keep my food limited. So it's not not limited. Like um, try to predict rightly that mm. everything will be sold out at the end of the year, so I will not waste any food to keep the cost low one thing another thing is so that I won't pass my cost to my consumers you know what I mean
3: mm.
1: yeah that's yeah. great too can you yeah. also tell me about the braised pig face dish is this a haka dish
2: no it's a chiu
1: <laughs> okay so how yeah. do you learn how to make this dish
2: uh, from this still the same master that taught me how to fine tune everything mm. he taught me that Mmm the just give me the recipe, like the ingredients and everything. So he taught me from the start to the end.
1: Hmm. Can you describe this dish to uh for the benefit of some of our listeners who may not know about this dish?
2: Okay, uh it's a why the pig face is because um you know the layer between your skin and the fats itself is like a collagen type, it's like collagen type A, so. The whole pig face is full of that, it's not fat. It, it, it has a very balance of lean meat. Like the nose itself is has one taste, the cheek itself has one taste, the ears itself has one taste. It's just different part of the face itself has different part, different taste. Mm. So that was what so interesting about the pig face. And I've been eating that since I was young. So I really like, my favorite part of the pig face is the nose. It's like very melty then, but you still get a bite. And it has this particular taste, the this particular red meat taste.
3: Hmm.
2: So yeah, like for me it's the no. Some people it's the like yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you said that you have been eating this ingredient since you were young. In in what dish?
2: Uh just as a pie no. Oh. I mean the pork-taste rice. It's just a like where you mix with sashi rice. So, it's just the taste is like not so salty not so sweet but just fagrinic great, a great rice
1: yeah I feel like that is very unconventional for someone who have eaten that growing up do you feel that it's because your dad runs a butchery store in the wet market
3: yeah partly because
2: of that I think I can eat from face all the way to the tail <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah I love um, that you know I feel that um, uh, some of the best parts of the pigs are the uh, of, of the pig are parts that people don't like, like the the yeah. feet, the I mean, the trotter, the tail, the ears. I love it so much because my family, my grandmother used to cook it a lot when I was younger. And it's like the best thing ever. But now I feel that young Singaporeans are more afraid of eating these parts. Do you feel the
3: same?
2: Uh, no, I don't think they're afraid of eating it. I think partly because the people who cook it and sell it has the fault Uh, It takes patience to cook all these things. Mm. So if they are just purely profit-driven, they won't go and truly, you know, like uh, Mm. process it the right way. So they just slack off their effort. It's, I think it's more like supply and demand. You supply bad things, there will be no demand. Mm. So it's like the if the pot face have skin, they still chop for the youngsters. You think a kid would like it, no, right? Mm. So I'm particular about like the things the pork face, if you have hair I'll just try not to serve it. I mm. I cut that away, just throw it away. Because I want this thing to be kept alive. Mm. Not, not not like um because of the leftover the wastage, then just sell it away. No, I wanna keep this keep this spirit of food alive.
1: You feel that pig's head is a common is an ingredient that's commonly thrown away in Singapore?
2: It's not normally true because we have foreigners worker like uh from China itself mm. from Malaysia Philippines or this where they still know that their face can be eaten you know what I mean so um uh especially Philippines they like to buy it yes oh yeah
3: so
2: yeah so they fry it and everything so Myanmar people will buy the tongue mm where they slice it and brace in their own sauce. Then uh workers from China will buy the the face itself. They buy the ears, so, but they, they really like the face. So they normally brace the face and then they eat it as a cold dish. Mm. So normally this thick face is not wasted in the butchery itself.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel that it's quite unconventional in that, like I can imagine if I were to go to a wet market store and ask for like a pig head I think the the uncle or auntie will look at me like very strangely like what What do you want to do with this pig head Because usually I think not many people would cook it at home, right? Because it takes a lot of skill and technique like what you said
2: Yeah, uh, I think if you go to a butchery and you tell them it's not kind of a pig face, right They will tell you to come again tomorrow because you have to order it in and-
3: Oh okay yeah
2: because there's always like people who order it like people the business will take it
1: mm.
2: businesses will take it the central kitchen will take it
1: okay one last question mm. um can you give our listeners some tips or advice if they want to attempt making uh char siu or Shuyo at home
2: for char siu itself is like you just research on the recipe then you fine-tune on the ingredients yourself you find the right ingredients that you want uh there are some recipes online that I tried. I think it's from my kitchen 101, the YouTube YouTuber yeah. one, one oh, the YouTuber, the Kitchen 101. That was when I started my pork belly.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, so it was. She was, she gave me a recipe to try the pork belly. That yeah.
1: is crispy pork belly, right?
2: Yeah, mm. uh my kitchen 101. The mm. recipe is quite good. Uh itself is just try on try on the pork shoulder first. Mm. Use pork shoulder as a starting sashiu to roast using the oven and then you slowly move on to belly or something. It'll still be easier.
3: Mm. Don't start
2: from belly. It'll be what? very hard. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the difficulty is just insane.
1: Because I see that a lot of recipes, they they say, oh, no-fail char siu recipe with pork belly because the pork belly has a lot of fat to keep it moist.
2: Ah, no. (laughs) It's different. It's just different. Uh, You do not, you cook it too high, the meat dry out. For char siu, if you do it at home, the pork belly itself. You cook it too high, the meat dry out.
3: If you
2: cook it too low, the fats just get very gelatinous. Mm. So, start from a uh, pork shoulder, it will work
3: okay. Yeah,
2: learn the lean meat is the one that you want to uh, perfect on first before moving to the face. Mm.
1: Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, and uh, good luck to you and your store.
2: Uh, thank you, bye bye. Thank you.
0: That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on this show was Chong Jingyuan, who is the hawker chef and owner of the hawker stall The Baggya Roasted. Also, Singapore Noodles is releasing a quarterly food publication called Seasonings, which gives you an insider's view into the festivals that we celebrate in Singapore. The pre-orders for our first issue on Hari Raya is currently open. You can go to sgpnoodles.com and purchase a copy under the shop section of the website. Thank you for listening to the show and I'll catch you all next week.